0: There we go. Um, What I want to share with you today is. Well, the title is Getting Closer to the Father. That's the title for today. And I've been inspired by this, one by God, of course, but but also by a guy called uh, Dr. Tim Harlow. Um, I was listening to the sermon, and it just really sort of touched my heart and I'm really sort of sharing uh, that sermon with you and my own take on it. I want to start off though with a word of prayer because it's really not possible without God. Uh, dear Father Lord, thank you so much for blessing us with incredible weather today. It's something so small, but it sort of lifts our hearts up. Uh, I pray, Lord, as I share today, that uh, these words that I'm speaking are no longer mine, but are transformed into your words, Lord. Uh, Father, we are so grateful to come before you to worship as a group together. We're incredibly blessed, and I'm so grateful for that, and we pray this in your Son's name, Jesus Christ, amen. Amen. I want to start off with Mark chapter 12, and we're going to start off in 28. And for many of you, you will know that this is about possibly, you know, one of the most important scriptures in the Bible. Where it talks about the greatest commandment. So starting in verse 28. So that's Mark 12, verse 28. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. So this is Jesus and the disciples. Uh, Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and with all your strength. When Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And from then on, no one dared ask him any more questions. We can read this sort of scripture. You can get a number of things from it. You can think, okay, well, there's two commandments. You've got the first commandment, which is loving God. You've got the second commandment, which is loving your neighbour. Reading down, it comes to the end and it says, you know, nobody asked him any more questions after this. And you kind of wonder why. I think it's easier in some ways to follow that first commandment than follow the second commandment. And that's why Jesus says you are not far from the kingdom of God. The two combined make The difference. When my wife and I got married many years ago, um, I remember doing a bit of a class. We kind of did classes on how to prepare ourselves for marriage. And there was this diagram that they brought up, and it's a triangle. Sorry, I haven't got any slides. I didn't want to risk it not working. Um, But you end up with a triangle, that's, that's what we ended up with and you've got like the husband on one side the wife on the other and then God right at the top right at that point point. and so the closer you draw to God the closer you draw to each other that's how it kind of works make sense so far? well I think that's how it works with the second part of this scripture where it talks about loving your neighbour That's how we draw closer to God. As well as loving God, but loving our neighbour, we're on one side, the neighbours on the other, and we're drawing closer to God as we get closer to our neighbours. If you want to get close to God, our Father, you have to care about his people, his children. Many many people think that, you know, the first commandment, the second commandment, etc. No, I really do believe that they're combined. They're together. It's stated they're together. Otherwise, you would have just stated the one. I had this sort of thought. I still have thoughts now and again regarding sort of, it's great to have time alone. It's great to have that sort of separation from people where you've got that sort of clarity of thought and you don't have to sort of think about so many sort of things going on in the world. Many people have sort of gone off to become hermits or gone to monasteries and think, you know, this is the life, this is the life of me. I'm away from all that hassle. It's just me and God. I must confess, you know, I, I thought, you know, the Amish, they don't seem a bad bunch. You know, maybe, maybe maybe that's maybe that's the answer. Uh, The simple life. But I don't think it's possible to get closer to the father while removing myself from his children. For me, you can't get close. You can't get close to me if you ignore my children. And I think that's true for God. Many people see themselves as holy and see themselves wanting to sort of, okay, I I want to stay away from these sort of bad people over here. They have a bad influence on my life. And so sort of think, well, I'm going to separate. I'm going to separate myself away from them. Remove myself from the world. But removing ourselves from the world was never the goal. In fact, the opposite is true. Ask yourself, Why doesn't God take you to heaven when you become a believer? Why doesn't God take you to heaven when you become a believer? After all, heaven is perfect. There's no sin in heaven. There's no trials. There's no temptations. There's no sadness. It's all joy. It's all fun and games. So why don't we go straight? Well, I think there's two reasons. Or two things you can't do in heaven. You can't sin. And you, sh- and you can't share the good news. It's pointless. point. How can you share the good news in heaven? I mean, everybody knows the good news. You're there. You can't love your neighbour if you keep the good news from them and you can't get closer to the father so let's break it down what business are we in as a church what business are we in what's our purpose we are in the good news business that's our business if you break it down take strip everything away that's what it's That's what it comes down to. We're in the good news business. That's why Jesus left us here. So the question is, how is business? (laughs) The Apostle Paul said in Acts 20, verse 24, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. The task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Have you ever wondered why you are here right now? I mean, right now, why you were put on this earth? In Acts 17, verse 24, it says, The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather... He himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man he made all the nations, that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him. Though he is not far from any one of us. We're put here for a reason. We're put here to share the good news. Because people, our neighbours, are looking for God. Jesus demonstrated how to love our neighbour. we look in Luke 15 verse 1. We'll read verses one and two. It says, "Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering round to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the, of the law muttered, "This man welcomes sinners and eats with them? Jesus welcomes. Jesus shares. But we can take that and think, that's great. But we can be like the Pharisees. We can be prone to the same thinking, to the same way of judging. Certainly I can. Separating people out from sinners, from non-sinners, sick from wealth, rich and poor, And this is what we see in the passage: is this separation out sinners and tax collectors. These were people that you'd want to associate with if you were a Pharisee, if you were one of the religious types back then. It's strange to say, but after many years of being in the church, I started to develop this feeling of unease in certain situations. I felt like, well, you know, sin, you, you kind of know it's there and you, you want to kind of keep away from it. And you kind of, I, I started feeling repulsion towards being out in the world doing certain, doing certain things. And that's all very well and good, you know, we should try and avoid sin. But yet, here we see Jesus hanging out with sinners, with tax collectors. It kind of doesn't ring true. I'm trying to avoid that and Jesus is kind of easy. He's there amongst it. Jesus is there, parting away, associating with people who the Sadducees, Pharisees and those following the Jewish faith would, would see as immoral persons to flee from maybe if I was in that situation I'd be thinking the same yet Jesus was there sharing the good news he wasn't there condemning people he wasn't there judging but he was there offering the good news to the people that were Excluded from good morally upright society of the time and I think we've got to be careful because we can be lured into society and what it sort of suggests and think well that's morally acceptable and that isn't we've got to go back to the Bible and see what it really says so let's see what Jesus does Jesus, we're going to have a look into Matthew nine, and we're going to have a look at from verses nine through uh, probably to thirteen. But Jesus is out and about doing his thing, and he comes to a tax collector. Now, tax collectors were not people you'd want to associate associate with; they were. Jews had pretty much sold themselves out to the Roman establishment. They uh, were getting very wealthy uh, from collecting the taxes and having probably a bit on the side as well. Um, and they were seen almost worse than sinners because if you look when we, when we sort of read that first scripture in uh, Luke 15, verse 1, it says tax collectors and sinners. It didn't sort of say, well, it's just sinners. They were kind of like seen as these guys are particularly nasty. You don't wanna you don't want to be around these guys. So let's start let's let's read in Matthew nine. And we'll start in verse nine. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. The, knowing the tax collectors you'd be thinking Jesus when he approached the tax collector he'd be laying into him saying you know what you're doing is wrong and you know you're, 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 you're practicing extortion from your fellow sort of Jews etc but he didn't do that that's what I would have kind of thought I thought oh great now we're going to see some action we're going to see Jesus really sort of rip into this guy but he doesn't He just says, "Follow me," and you must think the disciples around him must be thinking, "What? What's just gone on? Why? Why are you just inviting him to follow you? It doesn't make any sense. He's a tax collector. Why do you want him to follow you? That means he's part of us. That means we're associated with him. See, we can we can get into this way of thinking." So I bet when the disciples got Luke, they thought, great, we've got Luke, he's a doctor. You know, he's somebody that people respect. But with Matthew, was like, why have we got this guy? He's going he's gonna to ruin things, he's going to make it so difficult. And yet that's exactly who Jesus wanted. And he's the one who wrote this book. There was a video on um, YouTube, oh, not that long ago, when it was showing this video of I don't know somebody was I don't know, Beckham had just turned, up, David Beckham had just turned up outside a store or something. Everybody was flocking towards him, and they're asking for his autograph, and various things, or wanting selfies, etc. And in the background, on the pavement, there was this guy begging. And they're just filming this. And everybody walks past this guy. Literally, he's only a few meters away. Everybody's focused on David Baker. Nobody's focused on that guy. And you think, what would Jesus do? Who would Jesus be looking towards? Let's carry on. In verse 10. Funny this, we kind of this is a bit skipped. We just find ourselves in uh, Matthew's house, or Jesus finds himself in Matthew's house. In verse ten, while Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, "Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners?" Jesus was invited went along they probably Matthew probably thought you know this is great I can sit down I can have a chat with him hey I'll invite a few of my friends a few of my tax collector friends because I don't really have any other friends as such Um, so I'll invite a few of my tax collector's friends along and we'll have a great time with Jesus you think why Why would you want to do that? Why would you show yourself up to the Pharisees? Give them sort of reasons to judge you. But he saw the need. He saw where he was needed. He goes to a sinner's party. Then he responds with something that cuts to the heart and this is why we're here in verse 12 on hearing this Jesus said it is not the healthy who need a doctor but those who are ill but go and learn what this means I desire mercy not sacrifice for I have not come to call the righteous but sinners My purpose, our purpose, is to be here for the people around us. If I'm following Jesus, I should be doing what Jesus did. Putting myself in places where I would not normally put myself. Looking strategically at where I should be. To come into contact with the right people, but my nature is kind of—I don't want to put myself in an awkward situation. I don't want to be there where I'm getting abuse, or I feel that oh, this is getting, this is getting a bit difficult. Things. It doesn't mean you're putting yourself into temptation. But perhaps you put yourself in a few places that really just challenge you, challenge your heart. This certainly makes me think, who am I with? Who do I associate with? Who do I feel comfortable around? Because I believe we can be like the Pharisees who say with disbelief, how come you are hanging around with those people i know because i can be like that i like to think i've improved my stance over the years but in my heart there are times when i i just really don't wish to be around certain people it's uncomfortable it's work when I was in the church in Leeds um, I remember a tramp I hope it's not politically incorrect to call somebody a tramp but uh, it was a tramp um, that used to come around to church not every Sunday but he certainly came regularly Did they... he smelled awful he smoked, he drank he was usually battered and beaten over a fight or being involved in some accident, being drunk he came along and usually usually sort of stayed outside, sat in the doorway. I felt I felt compassion for this chap. Uh, so I used to invite him in for a cup of tea. But the majority of the congregation were not really pleased with that. People approached me with concerns over him being close to the children being unclean, sort of smelling, those sort of things. He wasn't wanted. He was not what we prayed for. But God has a reason for such things. And gradually over time, people got on board. People offered assistance in many ways. And when I moved, he was finally provided with housing from the council because some of the disciples sort of helped him in that. The point is that we can spend time looking for the so-called sharp people being smitten by celebrities and those in high-powered positions. But is that what God really wants from us? Where are our motives? Is it because it makes us feel more comfortable? It takes the pressure off us? Another example that grieves me to this day is a time when I was visiting a church. I won't mention the church, but the area in which the church was set was not the best of areas, and prostitutes used to pass by from time to time. Anyway, I was chatting to someone outside church. This woman approached and started asking questions about what was going on. It was clear she was a prostitute or drug user. I started to explain, you know, We meet for church and we do this, that, and the other. But before I could go any further, a brother dismissed her and sent her on her way. Why? Because it was scary and it was messy. And we don't like scary or messy. I was not sure how I felt at the time, but looking back, I feel that I should have stood up and offered grace as Jesus would have. It's so easy to think we're better than others. Or indeed others are better than ourselves. But that is not what Jesus sees. He sees children who are either lost or found. If religious people comment on me hanging out with persons like that, then maybe I'm a little bit more like Jesus than I thought. Jesus said for us to be like salt... to be as a light well it's hard for people to taste that salt if it's still in the shaker or the light if it's covered by a bowl we need to shine we need to sort of allow people to sort of taste what Christ has offered us sharing good news it's not just about saying Jesus did this it's about developing friendships, developing relationships with people Jesus said you will be my witness in Acts 1 starting verse 7 he said to them it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority but you will receive power when his Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth what does this look like being a witness I think it means being real. It means standing on the rock. Standing out. Witness was always used as a noun, not a verb in the Bible. A witness is who you are and not necessarily what you do. My wife and I a few months after getting married, we went to Montreal for a wedding. Um, it was one of Anne's friends back in Burundi. Well, she wasn't in Burundi at the time. She was obviously in Montreal getting married. We went over there to sort of celebrate. And we and she sort of put us up in her sort of apartment. And there was another friend of hers that were also, was also staying at the apartment. And, uh, yeah, we just chatted to this lady... Over the, over the week or so we didn't I wouldn't say we sort of we didn't invite her to church we didn't sort of go into anything like that but we just sort of we just opened our, ourselves up to her I was found it interesting when we left she sort of came and she had a word with us and she said she said I am very encouraged by you I thought why why were you encouraged by us She said You You're so so open About your lives What happened was We'd Without knowing it Sort of Allowed her to enter into our lives It wasn't sort of Well She's not a disciple She's not a Christian Kind of park her over there It's just, Just treated her as You know One of us That touched her It ended up But she she was studying over there. She ended up going back to Gabon and uh, actually sort of getting in touch with the church. We put her in touch with the church over in Gabon. And she became a disciple about six months later. And that comes from just being with. That's not about sort of attacking somebody, lording it over somebody. That was just us just opening up, opening our lives up to somebody. I wish it was always like that. It's not. But it's always encouraging to hear a story like that. I mean, back in Luke 15, we started by showing how Jesus loves sinners. And then in 15, it talks about three incredible parables. The lost sheep, the lost coins, and the lost son. And this is what he comes down to. Luke 15 verse 7 I tell you that in the same way There will be more rejoicing in heaven Over one sinner who repents Than over 99 righteous persons Who do not need to repent In Luke 15 10 In the same way I tell you There is rejoicing in the presence Of the angels of God Over one sinner who repents And then lastly And perhaps sort of I don't know It kind of like hits me more In Luke 15 verse 20. This was the one about the the lost son. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off. His father saw him. And was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son. Threw his arms round him and kissed him. More rejoicing. More rejoicing. More rejoicing. Why? Well I know why. I'm a dad and if you have children one of the most frightening moments is realising they're missing you kind of they're there and then they're not there and you think where are they um, and it's like all of a sudden it's sort of panic It's sort of, it, it, you kind of you become blinkered you don't see anything around you just like search mode where is my child? Where have they got to? Um, I remember this in a supermarket. I was with Sybilla doing something and I, I don't, must have just picked something up to the shop. All of a sudden she's gone. I thought, what? And I thought, wait, 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 where's, where's she gone? She's, she's lost. Uh, has anybody seen her? So going to the end. Uh, no, I can't see. Her. I thought, oh, be clever. Go right to the end, look across and then sort of start running. Nobody's seen her. Go to the front. You make sure you see uh, is there a little girl that you see sort of coming in? No? Your heart sinks and it keeps sinking. It's it grips hold of you. It might only have been a few minutes, but it felt like eternity. Eventually she wasn't that far away and somebody was probably blocking my view when I sort of passed her. But she knew she was lost. Because when I came up she was like She saw me and started to sort of cry a little bit She just needed somebody to come up and grab her hand and say Yeah, you're fine, you're okay And that's God with us He's our father, he's looking out for us He's searching and he knows where we are And he's just saying here I am, here I am If that's you, if you feel lost, we are here for you. And there are many out there who are lost waiting for their Father to find them. And He's searching. And that's why we are here, and that's why He left us here. Amen.